Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Frank. Today's episode is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome because we are bringing on a guest who is a rock star and an entrepreneur. That's right. We have a drummer by the name of David Trena, who is the drummer for the band The Damn Truth, a local Montreal-based band who has gone on to tour Canada, and we'll get to share his story today and hopefully learn a little bit more about, you know, how the band came to be and, you know, what's coming next for them. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to understanding the realities of, of becoming an artist, making a name for yourself, um, going out on tour. And, and also, I'm going to be interested to know a little bit of the entrepreneur side to him. Um, he has a shop called Freak Shop. It's a studio uh, where he actually produces other artists as well. So um, if we're ready, Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get him in, let's get this started, and let's all enjoy this episode of Keeping It Frank. There's nothing to live up to. We're just having fun. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, perfect. So um, let's kick it off right away, Dave. I mean, uh, it's no secret. Maybe people in Montreal don't know who you are, um, but you're kind of a big deal in Montreal in the rock and roll scene. Um, a local band, The Damn Truth, which is now gaining massive international attention. Um, you guys are touring. Um, so, Dave, I guess the easiest way to start is uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, first off, uh, thanks for having me uh, as a guest on your show. I think this is really, really, really awesome. Um, uh, your question was uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself. Well, absolutely. Well, my name is Dave, Dave Trena. I'm a drummer slash uh, record producer, studio owner here in Montreal, uh, Canada. Um, I've been playing in a band called The Damn Truth for about 10 years or so. Um, and have built a recording studio called The Freak Shop here in Montreal, uh, which is also on its 10th uh, anniversary, I'd say. Wow. Um, just been, you know, working on building uh, my career as a musician and as an entrepreneur, I guess, since almost, I guess, like a teenager because I've been playing, you know, music my whole life. So this has always been, you know, my passion and... Um, where I've put, you know, maximum attention and, and care and love and work and, and all of that. And that's, uh, that's, that's really, really awesome to hear. And um, for sure, I can't imagine the grind. And, I, and we want to get into that a little bit as well to understand um, what it's like. And, and I think also, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but times are also different now in terms of how to get recognized, uh, how to brand yourself and, and put yourself out there versus probably, you know, 10 years ago, uh, things have changed. Um, so I guess like maybe the easiest way, if I can ask Dave, my simple curiosity is, is how did you fall in love with music? Oh, man, I mean, um, <laughs> it wasn't hard to fall in love with music because I think music holds like a very, very important and relevant place in almost everyone's lives. And our, our relationship changes with music as we get older for some people and, and for many people. I mean, we listen to music uh, as much as we did when we were younger. But, um, you know, 
my my brother my older brother was uh very much you know into music and I always kind of like uh, you know I was the younger brother we have a seven year difference I was looking up to him and wanting to you know uh, he showed me cool music when I was young um, I remember being you know maybe as early memories it must be I don't know six years old or five years old or seven years old or you know really early years and like sitting in front of the TV and list, and him showing me like uh, you know Ozzy Osbourne and Led Zeppelin <laughs> and all this great music and you know uh, later on uh, you know he gets his uh, driver's license and I get driven around town and you know just being exposed to cool music and and, and cool stuff like that so the, the presence of music was was there from from, I guess from a young age and it kind of rubbed off on me um, that it was a cool thing. I mean, I remember seeing, uh, you know, like a Led Zeppelin live concert and the song in the show called Moby Dick where the, the drummer just goes off on this insane drum solo, you know, <laughs> and it's, I, ha I have it marked kind of like in my, in my memory as like a moment where I kind of like, I don't know if I chose it or, or, or more it chose me, you know, I just, um, uh, ha having that, I, I guess that image stay stuck, excuse me, stuck in my head for years and years and years. And then, you know, kind of later when I actually got to start to play music was again, you know, through, through my brother. So he was uh, a drummer and he had a drum kit in the house and okay. you know, I got to sit down and kind of like, you know, play his drum kit uh, every now and then when he wasn't around and, you know, it all kind of stemmed, stemmed from there. And there's a seven um, years difference, you said, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so I mean, I was kind of like the grubby kid, <laughs> you know, attached on his pant leg, and he was cool enough. He was cool enough to me to like let me use his his drums, and uh, and he taught me a few things too, you know. So the drums was the first instrument you picked up. Yeah, because it was uh, it was there, you know. At a younger age, I remember, you know, we had a neighbor uh, whose dad was also like a hippie, and he had like drums and instruments and stuff, and he used to let <laughs> me play his stuff. Um, but the drums was my first, I guess, and only instrument. As a teacher, I'm a teacher, and some of the early icebreaker questions we always ask kids at the beginning of the school year is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, kids are like, oh, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be an astronaut. And now you've went from, you know, having that dream at a young age. You pick up the drum set. You pick, you're playing it. How do you go from, I like this, to now I'm a drummer? So take us through, like, kind of that little getting, growing up and actually living out that little dream of yours. Well, I don't know if I uh, dreamt of being a musician that young, you know, I, I don't think it, in my mind it was really a possibility or it didn't like correlate mm. or, you, you know, there was fun. always, yeah, I, definitely just having fun. But you don't really understand, I guess, at a young age, how you can grow into a, a profession or, or that type of thing, you know, uh, it was just fun to play drums. Um but I, I loved it, you know, so mm -hmm. I would come home from school and I would run to my drum set and all I would want to do is play drums for hours every single day, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. It was like, it's all I really had on my mind, my whole adolescence, childhood. Um, I had friends and I played and I hockey and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But I mean, all I was really, really, really interested in was just sitting at that drum kit and I would do that daily you know uh get home from school whatever it is three o'clock until my parents would shut the lights if they gave me three hours or maybe they gave me two or maybe they gave me four or whatever number i could get i, I would take every minute that i could 
and if they would leave the house for whatever reason, bang, right Smack back down on the there. drums and just play as, as much as I, I possibly could. Um, later on, you know, as a teenager, start to meet other kids who play, you know, or, or have a guitar or, uh, uh, or one guy who wants to be the singer and all that stuff. So we get together and jam and uh, feel our way through, like, starting a band or just... You know, we were young and we didn't know anything. There wasn't really um, a teacher there for us to say, Do you know, this is how you start a band. This is how you write songs. This is how you, you know, we would just get together and make noise and... Uh, and see what came of it. That, that must pretty have been much, interesting. you know. And, and yeah. I was actually going to ask, Dave, I mean, on that note there, before jumping too far ahead, um, how did you learn? Did, did you teach yourself? Did you have someone guiding you, mentoring you? Like, like what did you do to uh, increase your skill? I, I did almost all my musical ability, you know, has happened uh, just by teaching myself, you know. Wow. Uh, later on, you start to discover more resources. Like, you know, I never really learned how to read music, but you can get cassettes or you can get tapes uh, at the music store. This is in the 1880s. Yeah, it's a while uh, back. <laughs> uh, so there wasn't the internet, for example. So. I wasn't allowed to get lessons, you know, I wasn't really uh, permitted to do that because, you know, whatever, it was a drum kit and all that, so. But I mean, your I parents, myself your how parents to play... let you have a drum kit, so I mean, they, they must have been somewhat supportive because that's loud. Yeah, of course, <laughs> I mean, they were tolerant of it for sure. However, you know, I never really got lessons and I never really got any formal training. I really wanted uh, to take lessons and stuff, but, you know, like uh, most uh, normal parents, you know, they wanted me to focus on school and... And then the dream of a musician, I mean, it's, it's grandiose, it's amazing, but is it practical? I mean, they're looking out for, for uh, your best interests, right? So, I mean, well, they want to hear your passion. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I think what happens is in, in, the, in the music world, in the music industry, it's a really hard music industry. So, it's, it's not easy yeah. to, to cut through and it's not, it does take a lot of dedication and a lot of work. So, uh, I'm not saying it's easier to go be a different profession or mm -hmm. field, however, when the when the path is kind of like mapped out for you relatively clearly, you can achieve success in some fields. Whereas the music world, it's, you know, there's no, uh, you can go study guitar in college, but they're not going to teach you how to be really successful as a musician or as, or as a business or anything like well, that. So break. I, I think the, the validation or the proof to parents, you know, when their kids want to say they want to be musicians as well, you know, it's, it's tough. So, uh, I'd rather you do something else, bo young boy. You yeah, know, or, yeah. We're, or whatever we, we it is. know what's best, and, and I mean they uh, do they do it out of love. Um, it's cool because I think with the generations kind of, or we went through that. Um, I think the lessons or uh, the options our kids are going to have is, are going to be a lot greater because we're going to be more supportive, more understanding. Uh, we now understand the possibilities and. Uh, but I, I still think it's awesome that your parents let you have a drum set. Mine would never have allowed me to. Like, I, I forget it. It was yeah. not happening. I don't think they had a choice. You know? uh, my <laughs> the drums called you. Well, and not in that way. In the way that, uh, well, it was my brother, right? So my brother was kind of like the one who sort of uh, paved the little path for me to kind of like follow <laughs> behind and, you know, and uh, right in his wake, basically. So he was, he turned 14 and he got a job basically as a, uh, uh, a dishwasher, you know, and all of a sudden there was a drum kit in the house and it was already bought and it was already <laughs> brought home. And I don't think my parents really had much of a say in it. You know, it was just kind of like he, he did that and he put the drum kit there 
and thanks to him and thanks thanks to those actions like that that's I, I think pretty much what sealed the fate uh, for me and um, so m moving on a little bit more further um, so now I mean it's a passion you're you're experimenting like with friends in a garage really having fun with it um, just enjoying yourself getting better at your skill um, when does it start getting a little bit more serious in the sense that hey now I see there's a possibility there's opportunity um, how do I get myself there well, I think when you're kind of starry-eyed, you feel like there's opportunity at every corner, you know? So uh, I always kind of felt like we were doing something great. I mean, I was playing in bands, and people were coming out to, to see us in clubs, even at a young age. Like one of, one of my first bands as a 20-year-old, just to put a, I guess, a timestamp. Uh, you know, we were playing in clubs every week, and we had a couple hundred people coming out to see us. And that's wow. like a pretty... It's a pretty a good, you know, it's, it's hard to bring people out to shows, you know. Would so you from a very crowds? early age, there was like at least that, there was a, a little bit of a validation or a glimmer of, uh, you know, at least we were doing something right at the time and it was very exciting. So, you know, just always putting, it always put a little more gas in the, in the gas tank uh, and for how me. Many shows, how many shows would you play uh, on average at the beginning? Well, I mean, when you start a band, it's hard to play any shows and you play in backyards and you play in basements and you play Sweet Sixteens and you play <laughs> at school, you know, so, Anywhere. but, but, you know, later on when I, when I became of legal age, uh, you know, around town, you can only really play weekly, you know, if, and even that's often. So when we finally got a band that was tight enough and we felt like we were ready to go eat the world go be rock stars or whatever uh we started to play out into clubs so uh we were not able to tour because we were too young and too inexperienced and mm -hmm. uh maybe we were just lacking that extra little push uh, at that young age but we were playing at least weekly around around town and and how does now you know again we flash forward a little bit how does the the damn truth come about how do you how do you guys all link up and create this band you know, in its current state now? So, I mean, late, later on, after a couple, you know, many years of uh, playing in other bands and trying my hand at maybe being like a session drummer and not, you know, and, and lots of other things, I kind of, uh, our band was, uh, well, we all have a mutual friend, right? The members of my band. He's the drummer of the Sam Roberts band, another oh, nice. Canadian uh, rock band. So we have this friend in common and, he kind of put us, not that he put us all together, but I mean, he made the introduction, which put us all in the room together, kind of jamming. Uh, we're a four-piece, so my, my singer, my guitar player, my bass player, and myself. Um, we're just kind of like, it, it. I guess it just kind of happened, you know? Because uh, I can't necessarily say at the time I was actively looking for a band. I was trying to get hired primarily as a, kind of like an independent player, a session player okay. that can play many recording gigs or many uh, trying, trying to get tours and stuff like that. And, and you know, I was lucky that uh, his name is Josh. Uh, you know, Josh knows good musicians. He knows good guys. He knows good players. So I was lucky to, lucky to be put into the room with possibly one of the most talented guitar players I've ever seen, you know. And the same thing can be said about my singer. She's unbelievable. So... I was very, very, very excited, you know, excited early on that, you know, I had this opportunity to play with really fantastic, fantastic people. And, you know, from the beginning of that project, uh, I was learning, 
you know, I had great people in the room to learn from. So um, that's kind of how the band came together. And um, I guess just because the band coming together was the damn truth, the first name, how did the name come about? That's a good question. I, I didn't coin the name, the damn truth. It was my guitar player, Tom. Uh, good job, I forget Tom. The, the inception. <laughs> I, I do know that he just thought it was the coolest name. And I think, it is, you know, I think it's a cool name. I think it I definitely, agree. you know, perks an eyebrow when, when people hear it. It's bold. And I think in rock and roll, there needs to be some form of, of boldness. I mean, it's always been counterculture or something that's like, you know, rock and roll has always gone against the grain. So our name, I, I hope, you know, embodies that in, in some way. Though, you know, we didn't necessarily start as the, the damn truth. We kind of started as uh, a cover band, you know, with the first few gigs that we played together, we got together and uh, we were getting hired to play in bars, you know, to entertain people on a Friday right. or Saturday night. And um, it was only maybe, I guess, a year or so later that we started to write music and then uh, develop a show, you know, and, and, and we launched a show and a record at least a year or so later. But the band really got started in clubs playing other people's music. Um, and that was awesome. You know, it put us in front of people right away. We always had an audience from the beginning. We were making fans, even though it was a different band, different name. Um, but it also helped us, helped us to be, become much better players. You know, uh, I think a lot of cover bands don't get enough credit because it's, it's good. Uh, it's good training. It's good. Uh, it's, it's a good workout for a band to play, to entertain people. It's like, um, you got to get people off their seats and dancing and enjoying themselves. So you kind of learn how to work a crowd and, and, and be tight as a band. And it was a great, uh, do you, uh, learning, do you... Do you feed off of the crowd? Like, do you, do you find like if the crowd's more in it, you feel like that extra oomph? In a very big way, you know, especially okay. when the crowd is a harder crowd or, you know, a crowd who you've never played for. You know, when a crowd is quiet, uh, you know, you play the last note of your song <laughs> and you're waiting for that roar <laughs> and you don't always get it. You kind of ask yourselves like, or you ask yourself like, what, what didn't I do? What do I need to do more, you know, this, <laughs> this next song? Like, you know, so there was a bit of a cyclical energy in, in, a, in a show where I'm obviously trying to put the most I can. And if I get a little bit back and we get a little bit back uh, from the crowd, then we'll definitely return it, you know, tenfold. And, you know, and so, so there on. is that element to it. You definitely feed off of the energy that's out there. Like you feel it. That's cool. Absolutely, for sure. That's awesome. And you know, especially when people are also in your face and they're moving or they're jumping or uh, you're doing something or dancing yeah. or you will definitely, you definitely need it. You know, uh, we, we need to feel it. If we're not feeling it, then, you know, we need to hit a little harder. So let me ask you, Dave. I mean, um, so now we, you guys come together. Um, you're playing as a cover band. Now you say about a year and a half later, I believe you come out with your first album. Um, so obviously as you're playing these shows, you're gathering some form of following, you're, you're putting yourself out there. They definitely see you guys as a presence. Um, is there like one defining moment or the kind of start of the catalyst? Like, is there a moment where we see like, Hey, there's traction here. Um, or is it really the album that, that kind of, uh, makes you guys take it to the next level or how does that happen? I think that the, you know, for most bands, the natural trajectory is a very like slow, 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 slow build. You know, the first years are hard. It's brutal for a lot of bands to even make it 
past a, a few those first few years because uh, it's very 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 challenging to to get out there and reach people and kind of make your project uh, you know successful is not the right word but to really like take on and start to sell tickets and, and start to sell records it's and, different and develop now, right? fans well I, I'd say it's the same you know okay. Okay. I, I think that still the 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 the, the, the trajectory the path of a band is you know, relatively similar. It's still very difficult to get a project off the ground. However, you know, today in the modern age, there's many, many, many ways where you could take advantage of the modern era with, you know, the internet and uh, streaming services and Absolutely. influencers. And there's a, a lot of more like, uh, I'll say quote unquote, like low cost options yeah. for artists to, to get uh, more visibility. Whereas if you go back, you know, 10, 15 years, it's like, you know, we were still mailing CDs and wow. stuff like yeah. that where today you know like artists largely don't Drop have those costs you know so you're right uh, the era and of at the Columbia click House. of a button you know at the click of a button you you're you're reaching tons and tons and tons of people and, and for sure i mean so you see the difference between the two absolutely there's no doubt like there's been a change there's been a shift um so for you guys just i i'm, I'm old school marketing i like that stuff um, early on, like I know you're mailing out CDs and stuff. Like any other old school stuff that you were doing, that's like massively different than than what we have now. At the time, yeah, like there's something else. Well, I mean, these before. are still the the practices that we were doing then. We 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 still do today because uh, you know it's. Uh, I feel like with rock and roll and with music, you need a good dose of like old school, new school. You know, you need to. Well, you know, rock and roll is about a time and it's about an energy. So. At the time, you know, we were putting up posters around town and, and going out and, and passing out flyers and really sharing our music with people like in the flesh as, as much as we could, you know, whereas sometimes I talk to people about, you know, postering the city with your concert and stuff. And it's kind of like a foreign, a <laughs> little bit of a foreign like thought. It's like, you know, criminals do that, that or something. And, <laughs> you know, we did feel like we were being, you know, bad or doing something wrong while we were doing it, but it was... You know, it's it's part of the way that you do rock and roll. So, um, so it's right in, in its own way. It feels right. Well, I mean, if I think that's how you kind of like uh, establish yourself and have a little bit, you know, of a of a, an edge in terms of like being visible. You know, not just through the screen where you can pay, you know, a few dollars and have your ads displayed in front of everyone. You really have to like fill your knapsack with posters and tape and get out there you know, uh, like a gang in the night and, and put, and put your stuff up. And, you know, when somebody is walking down the street and they, they don't see your poster once they see it like 40 times on 40 street lamps. I mean, that, that does a lot for you. I mean, that's, that's really, 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 really cool stuff. And I feel like maybe it's for forgotten to, uh, to, to a lot of artists, uh, today. Hopefully some are listening in and they'll, uh, They'll take that to heart because that sounds pretty awesome. I always liked it. I like walking downtown and seeing the, the fluorescent flyers. I, I find it really, really badass personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, artists or and, and any business person, it's like um, uh, having generating awareness and having that repeat visibility. It's like, uh, especially when it comes to musical taste yourself as a musical fan, I mean, do you really fall in love with a band on the first listen? It's very, very, very rare. I feel like you need to see so it rare. and see it again and hear it and hear it again. And it's that, that repetition that, uh, that creates like a bit of hype and mo momentum for, uh, for a business or for a band. Now, Dave, you've mentioned, you know, rock and roll, you're a rock band and, and people listening, 
to to music and, and listen to the podcast will think like okay well there's different different genres of rock and you know a simple google search of the damn truth you, there's words of indie rock there's you know words of blues rock and they throw out decades of 70s 80s vibe janis joplin how would you describe your sound well i wouldn't disagree with any of what you what you just <laughs> said because you know we it's all part Good of job, Mike. Our, our influences you know there's uh, members of my band who are heavily influenced from 70s rock uh, my singer, you know, sorry, my guitar player is really into 60s psychedelic. I'm a bit more of a kind of a 80s, 90s hard rock uh, uh, player, for example. And so we're all drawing from different uh, influences. We're all drawing from different eras. We all sort of grew up in different places of the world. And we're all sort of um, influenced by different popular artists of, you know, where where we oh. kind of grew up. So... When you put all of this uh, into a jam space, uh, and I, I'd like to think we've operated somewhat diplomatically in the creative <laughs> department, uh, well, we all kind of get to put our personality into into the music. And now, after so many years, I mean, I think we all have a really good understanding of every member's strengths, you know, and how we can use that uh, in the music. Uh, to make some awesome stuff. Maybe the fact that we've been together for so long has also, you know, enabled us to learn how to work better, you know, as a band and, and take advantage of each other's uh, uh, strengths, as I said. So coming into building um, or recording your first album, first of all, uh, I have one question because I think that the amount of work that probably went into that is very underrated. Uh, how much time, effort, probably how many songs have to be recorded you're still finding your sound, you're cutting songs, you're making them better. Um, can you can you walk me through a little bit of like what that's like? Um, yeah, that would be my question. I think it was a pretty good question. <laughs> I feel like, you know, in, with my own uh, band, we've now, uh, we've made a couple of, well, a couple, we've made many recordings over the years. And yes. they've happened in, you know, relatively similar ways, though each record ha has its own, you know, it has its own story. So... You're right in that we do put a tremendous time of work and a lot of energy and a lot of good intention into uh, into our music. Um, but we do try to make studio sessions, try to make studio sessions as com as compact as possible, you know. For sure. Um, so we'll work really, really, really hard to prepare to go into studio. Um, but I think that, you know, some of the best recordings for any artist and definitely, you know, it holds true for us is that when it happens fast and there's just an energy in the room and you don't really overcook something, uh, it tends to be better, you know, when you don't necessarily overthink it in that moment. So, you know, for our band, we spend a lot of time writing and doing demos and, and you know, uh, rehearsing and listening, rehearsing and listening and tweaking and fine tuning. And then when we feel like we're, we've hit that moment, it's like, okay, let's go, let's go record this. You know, we're kind of ready to, um, you know, get into the studio, mic up all the instruments, shut our eyes and run through the song and try to get it uh, in a not too clinical fashion. You know, it's just, we play and, and as long as that preparation is there, uh, usually it turns out pretty good. As organic as possible. Well, we try to, you know, I mean, rock and yeah. roll is about feel and as we inch our way further and further into the modern age, I mean, in the recording studio, um, music can become very uh, overworked. Mm -hmm. uh, overproduced, yeah. Overproduced, overworked. I mean, the technology yeah. allows you to 
manipulate to the finest variable, you know, so you can perfect something that you deem imperfect in many ways. So try as hard as possible to take advantage of technology to make our, our music have that, you know, punch, but try not to take it too far to steal away from that feeling of just the four of us playing together, you know? The authenticity of it as well, absolutely. Well, it's what we're but fighting you, for. Yeah, right. It's it's your tra it's a delicate balance, I think, because uh, you also don't want to get left behind. You know, there's traction, and uh, but it, it's delicate. But I think that being being in a band for ten years, uh, knowing each other so well, that that there's kind of that understanding, and you guys know very well where uh, what works for you guys. Well, I mean, ultimately, what comes out of the speakers will tell us if we're on the right track. So I'm right. using our instincts to try to get there. However, you sort of know if you've hit it or not when you listen to something. You know, I mean, uh, that's why I think the four of us are more or less on the same page when, you know, we come back into the control room and listen to what we've done. And then we can kind of say, OK, this is this is cool. Uh Maybe it's not 100% what we envisioned. We're a little, a few degrees to the left, but uh, we've hit that target, uh, for, you know, close enough. So, um, but also, you know, having had many studio experiences also has like refined our process and has allowed us to learn, you know, you go into the studio for the first time and you really don't know what, uh, if your actions will generate a positive response. And it's like anything like riding a bike or learning how to cook a dish or, uh, whatever task you you, you want to learn and excel at, I mean, it's taken us years and we will continue to better, you know, in the future. But uh, there's a big part of it is, is, is going going through the paces and, and learning, you know, and getting better and, and coming back and doing it better, you know, the next time around, et cetera. And um, like I mentioned on the onset, like I like to keep it real in terms of really understanding um, these are all great positive things. Like it's a story of hard work, dedication, passion, and, and you bringing really something to life. And and I still want to talk about Freak Shop as well because I feel like that's um, happening at the same time in the time period where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, but actually, let's talk about that. So like, what? How did that come to be? Um, I, obviously, it's a passion, but yeah. You know, how do you? What was the idea behind it, and where is it at today? So Freak Shop is a recording studio uh, here in Montreal, Canada, uh, where, you know, I produce uh, lots of artists in the rock pop style. Um, and my own band, The Damn Truth, you know, uses this, this studio quite a bit. Uh, we'd have to rewind quite a bit, you know, to get to the start of like my interest Understood. in the production side or the tech. I don't, don't want to say too much the technical side, but the you know, the actual recording process and the production of music. I, I think maybe when I was, I, I guess, around 14 years old, uh, jamming with uh, with my friends, I would take my Christmas and birthday money and go to the music store. And a few times per year, you know, whenever I could swing it or had a, a long weekend or something like that, I would rent, you know, a four track or an eight track, basically like a little mini studio box, you know, that you could bring into your garage, your basement, and plug up a few microphones, and you can make pretty good recordings, you know, compared to recording into your cassette, you know, your boombox or whatever. So <laughs> I started to get interested in that world of like, well, how do I record music? How do I use microphones? And how do I make the band that's sitting in my garage sound great between two speakers, you know? Uh, with this little bit of gear that I have at my disposal. When I was young, I was into assembling and disassembling things. I had very 
technical, tactile hands and uh, was always into like <laughs> little detailed tasks and stuff like that. So in the recording studio, you tend to work in like very, very, very uh, precise things, you know, with equalization and adjustments of the sound and stuff like that. So I took to it at a, at a young age, you know. Um, a few years later, you know, when I was maybe in my 20s, I uh, started to work, uh, had my own job, and I was able to uh, start to build like a little bit of a, a kit. Uh, laptops started to become a thing. Uh, <laughs> so I bought a laptop and I bought a very compact recording setup. And even though I didn't own a recording studio at the time, I started to build a recording studio uh, on wheels, if you will. So I had my laptop and a, a little bit of gear, a few uh you know kind of like uh, travel bins with some equipment and it just kind of go from my rehearsal space to another band's rehearsal space to somebody's garage to a church to a, wherever <laughs> i could record a band wherever we could uh, put you know put together a makeshift studio that's awesome you know we would we would do the projects that way uh i was uh, i was young and i didn't have a, a dedicated space i couldn't bring people to to my house uh but you had the passion for it and then you wanted to well, do well i it. had discovered that that's awesome. you know i could maybe have a career uh you know maybe <laughs> if i'm not if being a rock star is impossible and a stupid choice or whatever you're you know you're kind of like the, there's ideas which are projected on, onto you about a variety of things in life, you know, like, Absolutely. you know, no one will tell you necessarily encourage you to go be a movie star. Same thing about music. So I kind of mm -hmm, discovered sure. that maybe I could produce or I could That's be, you know, yeah. I could record bands. And uh, there's a bit more of a concrete, uh, quote unquote, transaction in, in that than becoming a rock star. So mm -hmm. I, I started to pour myself into it because I thought, you know, I could, you know, maybe this could be a good, uh, a good option for me. Um, and I just went at it like that, you know, uh, being in a band, I was already starting to meet many, uh, other artists and many other bands. Right. So, you know, uh, you always, I always took it upon myself to have that conversation with people and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to get in, uh, get in the garage with you and record your band. I'll do it for peanuts. Just let's, you know, we'll go and we'll have fun and we'll trip out. And, and it allowed me to kind of build uh, a portfolio and build some experience and build uh, something, you know? Yeah, it was the start of uh, where we're at today, which is, you know, our own kind of like uh, facility and uh, something a bit more uh, formal, if you will. But for many right. years, I really just was guerrilla style uh we would just make every session work i'd bring my whole rig into some location set up the speakers and turn it into a recording studio hey man you you found a way like you didn't have the physical location but you didn't let it stop you from from doing what you wanted to do well, so that's i think that's that was awesome. very exciting those were very exciting times because you know every session or every experience was something very unique and different and uh, I don't think I necessarily let people's expectations at the time really kind of derail what we were doing. It was just so wild and fun that uh, we were all enjoying ourselves, you know, and I was learning and, and kind of like figuring this thing out. Just to, you know, to, to ground it a little bit, I, you have these great moments, you know, you're learning, you're, you're making your connections, you're meeting new people. Your, your, your band is coming together, you're recording your music, releasing, you're going on tours. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, a few years ago and your, your second album is out, you're going on tour, you're in your bus. And I, I know this story was, you know, was on the news. It was, you know, in papers. But take us through, you know, you're in Sault Ste. Marie, 
middle of you know nowhere Canada. Mm-hmm. Take us through that you know moment uh, on that tour. Well, uh, that was <laughs> I think maybe it was twenty, it was twenty, maybe twenty sixteen or, or something. Like that. that was a few, a few mm-hmm. years back, and we had started to tour. You know, and you know that was maybe a defining moment. You know, for us as as a band, yes, it's yeah. like we got the van. We're going off on the road. We're sleeping. God knows where. You know, as long as we play rock and roll, then everything's going to be okay. And 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 those were very very ex- ex- the first you know tours were very wild and and exciting times. We were really living out uh, our, our dreams. You know, in those moments. So um, we were on a t- cross Canada tour. You know, in the month of November, starting to get cold, and the drive across Ontario. You know, from central Canada to to Western Canada, you really have this long, hard drive over the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. So right in the middle of Canada, it's like, uh, you know, Lake Erie, Lake Huron, Lake Ontario. All there's, you know, there's five of them. Um, <laughs> there's a very long drive. It's, it's at least a day and a half, uh, 30 some odd hours to, to get to anywhere of interest. You know, it's like you, you leave the, the, the interesting part of Ontario and you need to cross over to the other side of the country um, <laughs> to reach people. So, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. in between there over the Great Lakes, while we were in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, we stopped off to get some gas. We only really had about an hour's drive left for that day. You know, we were going to land, oh. I think, in uh, Thunder Bay, uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, and that's where we were going to, like, get a motel and, and crash for the night. So we gas up the van, put the key in the ignition. We're in Sault Ste. Marie hit the ignition and then we hear this loud bang like a loud sound it was like whoa something's definitely wrong with the van shut it off in the distance we could see a midas so mm-hmm. we took the van right into a midas you know just a, a you know a, a few hundred meters they inspect the van and they tell us that in fact there was a little problem with the van they recommended you know that we spend the night in town um okay and get the repair done in the morning. If I remember correctly, it was the, you know, the, it was the exhaust, a gasket mm-hmm. in the exhaust uh, system. Sorry, I'm, I'm not a real car guy, but <laughs> something I, but popped due to, the, due to the pressure uh, in the exhaust system. You know, they recommended to us that, you know, take the van, get a motel, come back in the morning, we'll get you fixed up, and you guys will be off and on your way. So... It was a half a kilometer drive from the Midas to the motel that we found. And I swear, man, we started the van and we drove 90 seconds. And within those 90 seconds, a car came up alongside us and people were frantically flailing their arms, like freaking out at us. And at that moment, we could start to smell smoke. And we all kind of instinctively knew that, like, okay, danger, like the van is on fire. We can smell it. The the smoke started to happen. So... We pulled off and we jumped out of the van and, you know, within, within two minutes, the, the van, I'd say 80% of it was completely in flames. There's a video on YouTube of our van just ablaze. And it, it, took, it took mere seconds. It happened so fast. I mean, we had just gassed up, you know, 120 bucks of gas. Uh, so that, the van was really ready to burn. And, and, you know, we were very unfortunate in that we were stranded and our, our, our ride had just completely burned down to the ground but you know people pulled off on the highway in that moment to kind of like to help us you know uh so my singer and some members of my band got brought into a car because it's winter and we're freezing and like 
my singer didn't even have a jacket on. It was like we just we jumped out of the van as as we were, right. you know. Um, you're you're a pure adrenaline, and inside the van, like, is there anything important for the tour? Is like everything in the van, or you guys have like separate? You know, the way we pack our rig, it's kind of like we have a van and we have a trailer, and a lot of the okay. equipment, if not most of the equipment, is in the trailer. And okay. inside the okay. van, we do have some equipment which is a bit more temperature sensitive, acoustic guitars, some of our better drums and amps, mm. all of our personal belongings, all of our suitcases, and all of our food, and um, all of the personal stuff in the front, all of the show stuff in the back, basically. Did you save? Did you get this? Did you guys have time to save the stuff, or it was it happened? Well, we were able to save the trailer. So there was a man okay. who pulled off, and like he grabbed me. This guy, Justin, Jason, Jason is his name. <laughs> he grabs me by the shoulder, and he says, "Buddy, stop freaking out. Save your trailer. You know, save your trailer." So while the van was burning, it's like it was a blaze. But he kind of like pushed me into the van and say get those keys out and unlock that trailer and we'll lift it off and we'll, and we'll move it on down and with the adrenaline and i don't know how that lock has never come off so smoothly <laughs> in my life it the lock came undone we lifted it like it was a feather and we pushed it out of the way and, and we saved all the equipment but we did lose Good. all of our personal belongings we lost some guitars we lost uh laptops cameras you know my 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 uh guitar player lost his phone and uh my baseball lost his passport and oh we we did lose a lot however the fact that we saved the trailer meant that you know there was a possibility to finish the tour because we were only about a quarter of the way through the tour we had to finish going. oh it was early on yeah well you know you start Ooh. in you start in montreal and you kind of work right. your way west so west, yeah. we had only done five or six of i'd say 30 or 32 shows or something Ooh. like that so we were really at the beginning mm. yeah so we were stranded in Sault Ste. Marie, and in that moment, we felt like everything was, uh, our dreams were crushed. And all we could really do was, you know, make our way home with our tails between our legs. And, uh, and we came very close to doing that. I mean, we were in tears. I was broken to nothing, you know. I mean, uh, and in that moment, uh, there was more than four of us because we have a small little crew while, while we travel. But the, the, the group, I mean, we were just like... We had had our legs like chopped off beneath mm -hmm. us, you know. Um, somehow, you know, we managed to give ourselves enough like support to kind of say the least we can do is tackle this tomorrow. You know, tomorrow on a fresh, uh, on a fresh night, Good night's you sleep, know, a yeah. fresh night's sleep, we'll wake up and we'll figure out what we have to do. We'll get home. Or we'll finish the tour. We'll figure out what we need to do. And I'll tell you that the next morning, just the way we felt was, you know, we were still pretty destroyed. But there was, you know, there was a bit of fires in us, you know. Um, so we set up a, a GoFundMe, you know, and we let people know back home what had happened. My guitar player had taken some video and some, some photos of, of what happened. And it was pretty uh, gripping, you know, and, and people definitely felt for us, I mean, we were, you know, it's the rock and roll story. You're going off on tour and your van catches on fire. And I mean, you know, there's, I don't know how, how many more, like what, what, you know, how many bigger rock and roll stories there can really be, but that, that's pretty much up there, you know. Our fans within hours, I mean, 
uh, tons of people had started to to donate to us to help us out and you know news and media back home kind of picked up on it and we were getting phone calls from uh like the evening news and the local radio stations and uh it you know we kind of got a little bit of a a boom of exposure and help in that moment because our story was just so crazy it's like you know how what are the chances what are the chances and... and it ended up you know it ended up uh wow. sort of turned out you know it didn't turn out okay because i mean you can't erase what happened but we were able to raise enough money to uh get the necessities together shoes jackets you know the things that we had lost in the fire and we were able to rent you know a vehicle and since we had our gear and the shows were booked, booked, well, I mean, we just, you know, we set off and we tried to catch up to our tour because we lost, uh, we lost about three days. We missed a couple okay. of shows in that, in that time frame. So we had to get all the way to Alberta and make a really, really, really huge drive to catch up to our, to our, to our obligations, you know? Uh, and what was that show like, like when you, when you get there? So first of all, I can't imagine how awesome you guys must have felt when GoFundMe, it comes through. Well, um, I mean, you never then, expect that something like that is going right. to happen because so many you of our your impact. Yeah, so many of our, you know, peers and contemporaries, you know, have these heartbreaking moments where their vans are broken into or they lose all of their equipment and stuff. And then when they turn to their, their friends and family, you know, they'll get help. But uh, it's unbelievable how much help we got from our fans and our friends. I mean, the outpouring was out of this world we never expected that you know we were hoping to get enough money to get a uh, to rent a truck and go home i mean you know that's what uh, we were looking for we and... were able to to then buy a new vehicle when we got back wow. home after the tour and and basically almost pick up where we left off you know and what's that show like in alberta when you guys play well i mean on the inside we felt like heroes you know like we had just conquered the, the you know <laughs> one of the biggest things uh we had ever seen you know but the realities of rock and roll is that you really don't know what's waiting for you at the next city. It might be a big show. It might be a small show. Okay. You know, in our earlier years, our shows were smaller back then. So, I mean, the feeling within us was otherworldly. What was probably happening around us was probably just another night in a bar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Got it. That's still awesome. I, th I think that that's still cool. The fact that you have, like, something devastating like that happen and... And you guys pull through. And, and I think like one key thing I hope people took is that you guys took the night. You didn't, like you're obviously supercharged with emotion, right? So it, it's probably not the best time. You guys made the, probably the best decision of like, hey, let's, let's sleep it off. Let's come together tomorrow and just figure this thing it out. It was hard. It was hard to come to yeah. that kind of like, uh, you know, that uh, a position where you could make some kind of a judgment. I mean, we were just defeated. I don't even know how to describe the feeling. Like I said, I mean, we were in tears. We were crying in each other's arms. I mean, we were... Yeah. Uh, I, I, Your dream is there. and then well, it's like definitely one of the most frightening moments I've, I've lived through, for sure. And so now, like, moving on. So, you, you've, you know, your last album came out four years ago. You know, we're four years removed. Have you guys been back in the studio working on new material? What, what's next for, for the band? What's next for you? Well, you know, when I hear when I hear the question, you know, asked back to me, you know, in in many ways, it's it's kind of disappointing that we haven't put out more material since then. But the fact of the matter is, we've been touring almost nonstop, nice. so we haven't awesome. had. It's a, it's a good thing to have, you know. Yeah. It's a good problem. Yeah, it's a have. good problem to have, and we did release material steadily, you know. But you're right that we haven't put out a, a new record. Uh, well, we just, you know, we just finished recording our hopefully what will be our next release, and I hope that in in the next couple of months. We're able to um, 
you know, to put it out or to figure out, you know, as we're, as we're recording this interview right now, it's kind of we're on sort of the middle, hopefully what feels like the middle of this coronavirus mm-hmm, pandemic. Right. So, you know, everybody's world is massively disrupted. We don't know how to release a record and do a promotional tour during coronavirus. It's never been yeah, done. There's no playbook. You know, there's there's no, no playbook for that exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we have uh, redirected some of our efforts, bearing in mind the realities of what's happening in the world. I mean, we can't be together and we have to interact through the screen. So, I mean, we've kind of like doubled down on like internet and social media and, and, and getting active like with our fan pages and our, our social media accounts uh, to reach people, you know, because it's obvious that you know, things like uh, teleconferencing and, uh, and, and digital campaigns and a digital relationship with, our, with your fans is uh, a big part of the future. It's been a big part mm-hmm. of the past, but it's, it's going to be still a, a growing like, uh, thing uh, uh, for musicians, you know. So we ha- have needed to adjust to that, you know, in the last couple of months. And it's forced us to kind of look at other ways to, to take advantage of this time. Um, so we've been recording music. I mean, we had to interrupt the actual album recording process, but we've been recording these kind of like uh, cover songs, songs that we love for, you know, uh, to grow our social media and to give something to our fans to kind of like entertain them in this time and to entertain ourselves. We would normally be rehearsing. We would normally be doing all of this stuff. So we when this coronavirus really hit, I mean, we were kind of all in our little bubbles, you know, and trying to figure out, I guess, our emotions and trying to figure out, well, you know, what initiatives are really worth uh, investing in and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it didn't take long for us to realize that it's like, hey, you know, the technology is there for us to be creative, to make uh, recordings and to publish some, some, um, some material because ultimately, you know, I think the statistic was something like 50 or 60% of people were either, you know, laid off or furloughed or confined Mm -hmm. and off of work. So you have basically uh, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people who are basically behind in front of the the screen day in, day out. Yes, sir. So we tried to take advantage of, of that, uh, of that extra attendance, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. by publishing more videos and publishing more music. And I guess, look, in terms of, um, you know, what's next, we've kind of covered, Mike kind of hinted. Um, but I, I guess, Dave, like this would be a good time to, A, is there a message you want to leave anybody listening, whether it's a musician, someone in a career, whatever the case is, is there a life lesson or something that sticks with you that you just kind of want to give back um, to the people listening to the podcast? You know, I think in all uh, ventures in life and in all fields and all professions and, and, and with all people, you know, whatever you want to be successful in should be something that you hold dear to yourself. You know, it'll be, uh, it'll be a labor of love for you to pursue the thing that's kind of burning a hole in your soul when you ignore it, you know. Uh, chase after the thing that inspires you. Chase after the thing that you're good at. Uh, and you'll probably be able to find success uh, and, you know, ride that long road with the satisfaction of knowing that you're, you're, you're chasing that thing that really fuels your, uh, your, your being and your person. Um, you know, maybe a lot of people find that they are treading water because they're pointing their bees in something that is not really fulfilling to them. And some people don't know what that thing is. So, you know, if you look, 
uh, you spend some time looking within and trying to find something that 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 is really really gratifying to you and you and you focus uh, as much of, of your time as you as you can on that you know possibly while you're working your current day job or or whatever obligations you have you know uh, you build that thing and you keep on working on it and then it'll you know it'll continue to grow and and you won't have a problem putting in those hours you won't have an issue that you know you finish your day job and you're starting your you know your evening with more more hard work i mean it's a it's a labor of love and, and it's a little easier to do nice a labor of love like that's that's i think the most important thing right is doing things that we love and you know seeing what comes of it and even if it's a small little thing you know something good any anything right anything that comes out of it will be good so that's really definitely important i mean you know i didn't uh, have a i didn't have a successful business you know when i was starting out it took many 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 years to build something but while I was, you know, studying and while I was working my, my first job, going into rehearsal space and building, you know, my band. And it was a very slow, very slow build, you know, until we, we got to, uh, till, till I've gotten to where I am today. And it was always sort of happening in the background of all the other activities that you do, you know, in life, like paying your rent and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, maintaining your obligations and, and such. Look, uh, Dave, I, I really appreciate, we appreciate you coming on. Um, the least we can do for you is, you know, how can people get in touch with you, follow you? How can we support you? Uh, floor is yours. Tell us the project's coming up and uh, how do the people get in touch with you? Well, we are on all of uh, the social media things, you know, uh, The Damn Truth <laughs> and The Freak Shop are on Facebook and Instagram and you can find me uh, on those places as well. So, you know, you can reach out to me or check out our music or check out our studio or, you know, anybody who's got any kind of a question or whatever it is. I mean, I'd love to hear from anyone. Awesome, Dave. Look, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it was really, really awesome to hear your story. Uh, thanks for being truthful with us and, and giving some some solid drops. Like, I didn't know how this was going to go in all honesty. Um, we've always had good conversations, you know, the limited times we've seen each other. But um, you dropped some big knowledge bombs and, and I really do hope people... Uh, listen in and, and benefit from it same uh, dave it was an honor meeting you i mean it's the first time we get well, to i meet, feel so. like i might have met you before mike <laughs> familiar face uh, am i wrong i don't, I don't know I, I really i can't uh, i don't know i don't think we have okay i just have that face i think <laughs> he has that face <laughs> possible so it, it was great hearing your story uh, you i mean your insight again like frankie said is amazing and i think it gives you know a different perspective of working on projects, you know, grinding it out and hustling. So we really want to thank you. Sure. No, it's my pleasure. I mean, if you guys got everything that you think you need to really hone in on your focus, then I mean, this is, you know, we're just shooting the <laughs> shit here, basically, you know, so. and it's fun. It was fun as hell. My pleasure, guys. All right, Dave. Well, look, we won't take any more of your time. Thank you so, so much. And uh, look, look forward to like the next big thing for you as well. I'll definitely be, be watching. Thanks, guys. All right, so that was our interview with Dave Trena. I mean, what a great story from, you know, the hustle at the beginning of his career and starting in garages and base church basements to, you know, going on a cross-Canada tour, dealing with, you know, cars breaking down and just, you know, trying to find positives in all of this stuff. Uh, his story is amazing. So, Frankie, what did you get out of this, you know, this whole thing? I really did expect it to be this awesome. Um, what I definitely got out of it is through his story, 
there is so many life lessons, moments of doubt, um, moments of encouragement. He talks about such a variety of things. And for me, um, I really am happy that he talks about a low point, right? Because mm -hmm. um, at no point did he romanticize anything, right, Mike? No. So like for me, he was giving the honest truth and, and the honest truth. It's, I as, would say the damn truth. Yeah, the damn truth. Good pun, Mike. Good pun. Um, but bottom line is that he said passion and, and, and fruits of your labor and, and that when you're working towards something that, that brings excitement and, and the best out of you, that it doesn't really feel like work. And he really found a way to turn something he was really good at, something he's passionate about, into a career. A, the guy's a rock star. Like, that's so awesome. Um, but also an entrepreneur. And, and I would even go further, Mike, and say that this guy actually has all the skill sets in terms of the personal growth person I'd want to talk to. Oh, definitely. I mean, he, he was so well spoken with all of his stories and all of his little tidbits of, of information that you couldn't not listen to him. I think he, he had meat to what he was saying. There was gravitas. You wanted to know. You wanted to learn from him. And I think that's important to, you know, to anybody that we speak to is that, if you're going to say something, you know, say it with all your heart and, and, and mean it. And I think that was something that really stuck out with me, uh, stuck out from, from, you know, this whole conversation was the meaning behind it. You know, he, like he says, he puts everything into everything he does. And, and I think it showed in this whole conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And um, for you out there listening, um, I'd really be curious to know what you're thinking and what you got out of this. If you don't mind leaving us a comment, so that we can read it over um, and just give us some feedback so we know um, what you took away from this episode because we want to highlight more of that. And if you guys have any questions or comments that you want to reach out to Dave, you can find them at The Damn Truth, right? Like he said, on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can find his own personal accounts there as well. Yeah, and don't forget uh, Freak Shop. Um, so that's actually spelled F-R-E-Q. It's a play on frequency, which, which I was right, by the way. I totally <laughs> called that. Just didn't know uh, how to pronounce it properly. But it is actually Freak. Check it out um, and check us out. Share, like, subscribe, follow. Uh, you guys know the routine. Mike and I are thrilled and happy that this is going the way it is. Uh, Mike, closing thoughts. Well, Frankie, I mean, you said it best in your recap of everything that you got out of this interview. And I definitely got a lot from this interview. I hope all of you listening got a lot out of what Dave had to say. We want to thank Dave for joining us uh, here tonight. Uh, he's an incredible man. Give him a follow. And of course, you can give us a follow at Keeping It Frank PC on Instagram, on Twitter. And you, of course, can find us on Facebook. And with that, guys, we'll close this off. Mike and I thank you for listening in. And we very much look forward to having you join us on the next episode of Keeping It Frank. Yeah, F-R-E-Q. It's a play on words, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs>